So Acts chapter 9 and starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this, this name? And hasn't he come here to take prisoners? To the chief priests. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Jerusalem by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to, to there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by day and night, took him by night, and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, and they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Thanks, Nicola, for uh, reading. Do keep that passage open in front of you as we come to look at it and uh, let me lead us in a prayer uh, Lord God we are uh, people of church family we want to, to live with a right regard to you and also to be encouraged by your spirit and so please would you help us with that as we uh, look at your words again this morning we ask it in Jesus name Amen now they are three of the most arresting words that uh, you'll ever hear. They're in, intended, um, whoever you are, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young, uh, pathfinders, or grafted, or you're much older, they're intended, as soon as you hear them, to, to capture your attention. And if you get them, they'll tell you everything you need to know and prepare you for everything that's coming next. You know what they are? They're these words. The name's Bond. You know that, don't you? And if you're wondering, look, why, why is David put a picture of himself up there <laughs> beside those words? I can understand that mistake, but if you look really carefully, that's actually the incredibly handsome actor, Daniel Craig, not me, but I'll forgive you for making that mistake. I don't know if you've seen the latest film. I, I saw it. Uh, I saw it last year with a couple of friends. It's classic Bond start. It's kind of minimal dialogue and maximum action. Uh, and that's what you want, isn't it? You want with these stories, cut the chat. Give me the action. Except with this story. 
uh, that we're reading uh, together in Acts uh, as we look at it on Sunday mornings. I mean, reading through it, if you've been doing that with us, reading through it, you, you'll notice there's enough action in it to, to rival any kind of uh, Bond film. There's, there's foreign travel, uh, there's, there's prison cells, there's unexpected deaths, there's daring escapes. And last week, if you were here, there was even a kind of car chase. Do you remember that? Uh, Philip jogging along beside the chariot. So that, that was kind of, kind of a car chase in, in, in Acts. But unlike Bond films, and here's one of the differences between Bond and the Bible. There's many, but here's at least one of the differences. In this book, Acts, the chat is where the action is. What people are saying is often the stuff that's important if you'll listen to it. And here in this story we've got here, we've got, well, there's someone who experiences a fairly dramatic introduction that has him asking, verse 5, who are you, Lord? To which he's told the three most arresting words he's ever going to hear. I am Jesus. They're the three most arresting words because if you get them, If you get these words and what stands behind them, they'll tell you everything that you need to know and they'll prepare you for everything that's coming next. There's there's so many incredible things in this story, and you may have read it many times before, but let me tell you one thing that I almost missed just in reading through this again this week. Do you remember at the beginning of Acts? Remember how how it started? Jesus appeared to his apostles. Their, Their eyewitnesses were told of his resurrection. They are to be the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And then he sends them out into the world with his good news. And then he returns to heaven. He's still active. We've seen that. But in a sense, he is, he's almost like hidden from view. But here in this story, you notice what's happening. It's like he, he steps in front of the camera for a final resurrection appearance. He steps, if you like, interview for someone one more time and as soon as you clock that you know there's there's something significant going on here this is something pretty special and it's something here that's that is for Saul specifically Saul who later get talked about as Paul as well it's something it's something particular for him it's not just for everyone it's particular for him but it's also recorded for us to look at and it's partly answering this question who are you Lord who is Jesus? So three things this morning, and, and here's the first thing. If you like counting, there'll be three. Here's the first thing. He's the knockdown judge. That's what this is saying. At the beginning of the story, Saul is the one who's terrifying, isn't he? See all the stuff that's going on with him. He's after Christians. He really hates them, and the name of Jesus they believe in. He's getting authority to arrest them. And he's willing to travel for that. Jerusalem to Damascus, if you didn't know, it's it's about 135 miles away. And you know what it's like in those days. That is a big journey to go on. You've got to really want to get people to do that. And you see how how Luke records it here. He's he's breathing out murderous threats. It's kind of like he's breathing out murder and threats. That's the way it's written. A friend of mine told me about a family dinner once, and middle child was very cross about something, and the words were tumbling out. And as they were doing that, little brother started doing this. (gasps) 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 Became quite annoying. Eventually, dad 
turned to little brother, to, to youngest son, and said, what are you doing? And he said, just breathing for my sister. <laughs> um, you know that kind of sense of like, almost every breath that's coming out is cross and angry. That, that's Saul here, isn't it? Breathing out murder and threats. And he's off to deliver a knockdown to any Christian that he finds, even in Damascus. Now, it's regarded as, as one of the great fights. Uh, Muhammad Ali against George Foreman, 1974, took place in what is now known as Zaire. Had the brilliant name of the Rumble in the Jungle. Uh, Foreman was stronger. He was impressive and aggressive, and apparently, I didn't, I didn't see it live. I was, I was about three at the time, uh, I think, so you can work out my age. But uh, for seven rounds, apparently, he pounded Ali. Just round after round, pounded him. And everyone thought Ali was just being outclassed. He had nothing to offer. Uh, he, had, he had nothing. He was doing nothing. They didn't realize what was going on. Muhammad Ali had planned this. He was letting George Foreman tar himself out in the Zaire heat. And after seven rounds, Foreman was exhausted. Reports are apparently at that time, Muhammad Ali leaned in close and said, is that all you've got? I'm a bit disappointed, George. They told me you could punch. And Foreman knew it was over at that point. The next round, Ali knocked him down. Now, uh, this isn't the heat of Zaire in our story today, but this is the heat in the middle of the day on a Middle Eastern road. And Saul is the one who is impressive and aggressive, but Jesus makes an appearance, and it's like he has leaned in. And he said to Saul, is that all you've got? And he knocks Saul flat on his face. Not only does he deliver the smackdown, he delivers the verdict on him as well. Do you see that, verse 4? When Nicola read it out, Verse 4, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And when Paul says in verse 5, who are you, Lord? That is not a casual question. You can imagine there would be panic in his voice as he says that. This is the panic of someone who knows they're in, in big trouble. The way he uses the word Lord here, he, he knows he's encountered kind of divine power and authority. And when the answer comes, I am Jesus... They're the three most arresting words he's ever going to hear because that's saying, you are guilty. In your attacks on me, you are guilty of rebelling against the Lord of heaven and earth, and I have come to knock you down. Jesus is the knockdown judge. Do you know Jesus like this? Do you understand his power in this way? And get this clear, there will, there'll be some who think, well, he doesn't look that impressive to me. He doesn't look like he's doing very much. There's world leaders doing all sorts of things at the moment, and he doesn't seem like he's doing very much about them. He doesn't look like he's doing anything to me either. Well, don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake. Don't, don't think his patience means his passive. Saul thought Jesus was nothing. Saul thought he was untroubled and untouchable, and then on a Middle Eastern road, he stepped forward, Jesus stepped forward and smacked him down. It's like he's giving us, if you like, 
just in this last resurrection encounter, he's giving us a preview of what's coming to any who oppose him. He's the knockdown judge. It's not all it says here. This also says, look, he is, he's also the well-connected Savior. Now, you have spotted, I imagine, as you read this, or if you've read it before, uh, the odd thing Jesus says in verse 5. If you've not, just look at it again. He says this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, that's strange, isn't it? Because Saul's been attacking Christians. But as soon as you think about that, you, you get what Jesus is saying about his relationship with his people. Maybe think of it like this. If you would spend time in our house, a bit of time, eventually at some point in our house, you would hear a yell, a loud yell. It's usually me and someone probably, possibly out of concern, but probably just to shut me up, would be saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'll say, I've stuck my toe again. And it hurts. It really hurts. Someone else in the house would say, can we do anything? And I'll say, no, you can't. You can't do anything. I'll just have to walk around like this, letting everyone know how painful it is for me. That's the way it goes. It really hurts. You can't do anything. And then you think about this. This is a silly example, but notice this. Look, my, my toes hurt, but my head feels it. And it's my head that cries out. And if you can picture that, you'll have a window into what's going on in this story. Saul's been treading on God's people. And we're being allowed to hear Jesus crying out from heaven. They're his body. He's the head. When the foot is hurt on earth, the head cries out from heaven. And you see what that tells you about this Jesus who's the Savior. In coming to save people, the way Jesus does it is he gives himself to you and he takes you for himself. You're, you're connected. You're joined to him. When you trust him, when you put your faith in him, God unites you to the Lord Jesus. And that means all that's yours becomes his. All your sin. He takes it. And because he died paying the penalty for sin, the full price for it, you're forgiven. He's taken it all. But it also flows the other way. Because if you're united to him, all that's his also becomes yours. And you just think what that means. If all that's his becomes yours, then his father becomes your father. His spirit becomes your spirit. His family name becomes your family name. And that's why you, you pray in Jesus' name. It's, it's not just like they're magic words to tag on the end. It's a way of reminding yourselves, because we're in Jesus now, we're heard as part of the family. His inheritance becomes your inheritance. His future becomes your future. And then it flows back the other way. Your welfare becomes his concern. Are you insulted or abused? He feels it, and he responds. You're anxious about something. Maybe it's a work situation at the moment. Maybe, and maybe it's a diagnosis you've had. Maybe it's something to do with home. Maybe it's to do with your family. Maybe it's something just to do with yourself. This says his heart is for you. 
when you feel those things on earth, the head cries out from heaven. Now, you might say, well, but I feel like I'm on my own. You don't know some of the things that are going on. I feel like I'm on on my own. And that's partly why he's done this. Why we've got this passage here is partly why it's here. He has stepped in front of the camera again and spoken so that you and I can hear what he says to Saul. So we can hear, he's your well-connected Savior. You're hurt on earth. He cries out from heaven. We sometimes sing a song here on Sundays that has this line about the Lord Jesus. Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. This is why a song like that can be written and we can sing it as true. Are you remembering this about the Lord Jesus? He's your well-connected Savior. You might say, well, why doesn't he just come and, and stop all the things that are hard? And Christians, understandably, down through the years, have asked that question. I, I suppose one thing to say about that is, look, um, he is the knockdown judge. There will come a day when he will deal with all those things. Keep hold of that. Keep remembering. He's not passive, but he might be patient. There was a time, I think about myself, when uh, there was a time when I didn't care about Jesus. I lived ignoring him, opposing him in in different ways, and I'm glad for me that he was patient so that I've not just met him as the knockdown judge, but I've got to know him as the well-connected Savior. So who is he? He says, I am Jesus. And if you get those words, if you get them, they're the three most arresting words you'll ever hear, and they'll remind you of everything you need to know and prepare you for everything that's coming next. Here's the third thing and last thing. He's also globally gracious. Grace in the Bible is a way of kind of describing how how God gives people uh, things they don't deserve or can't earn. And that's something... Well, that's something that he gives is Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Grace, have you got this? Grace isn't a thing in itself. It's not like a substance that you pour out. Not like a thing like that that you can be topped up with grace in that way. Grace isn't a thing in itself. It is Jesus in himself for you. And while the word grace isn't used in this passage, because it's about Jesus, you, you catch his grace all over it. You, you see it with Paul just in the interaction here. Jesus, well, he knocked him down, but he didn't knock him out. No, he's being graciously changed, not crushed. Did you spot that in this? You you see verse 6, what Jesus says to him, now get up. The word that's used there, it's got the sense of rise. It's a bit like resurrection. You get get the sense of it. It's it's something like this. Uh, Jesus died and he rose again. Saul, it's like you're going to have died and you're going to rise again. You're going to die to that old way of living and, and rise to, to new life based on my grace. But, but there's more because all through this passage, it's like things are being turned around. Uh, the one who wants to destroy disciples, you get that just as we read it? The one who wants to destroy disciples ends up being sent to make disciples. Uh, the one who's coming to make Christians suffer ends being told he will suffer as a Christian. The one who came to stamp out Jesus' name ends being sent to proclaim Jesus' name. I mean, who could do all of that? Who could make big changes like that? And the answer we're given, well, they're the three most arresting words you'll ever hear. 
I am Jesus. But why would we say he's globally gracious? Well, it's verse 15. If you want to have a look at that. Jesus says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. The Gentiles, it's kind of the nations. You remember at the beginning? What we're told in this book of Acts, the direction of travel we're going on. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We've had hints of this last bit, the, the ends of the earth, but this now seems to be part of the plan. Saul's going to be the apostle to lead the way going to the Gentiles. He's the additional eyewitness. That's why Jesus steps into view again. He's the additional eyewitness who will go to the nations. And you notice what's going on here. Saul's experience is going to become Saul's message. He'll proclaim the knockdown judge who's become the connected savior and is globally gracious. Most of us, I imagine, are Gentiles. So in that sense, Paul, we're meeting him here, He's like our first messenger. He's the one for us. You, you listen to him. And you think about what Jesus has done. He's taken a man who seemed as far away from Jesus as possible and has sent him to the people who are as far away from Jesus as possible and appointed them, appointed, appointed him to tell them the good news. And I think so that we'll know his grace can be for us as well. No matter how far away you seem to think you are or feel, the three most arresting words you'll ever hear, I am Jesus. And if you get them, they'll tell you everything you need to know and prepare you for everything that's coming next. And look, Saul's experience that becomes his message also for us as a church family and becomes our message to share as well, the message of God's grace. Let's pause there. Let's have a moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in a prayer.